Well, there is something unique about God, the God that we know is a Trinitarian God. He is triunity. He has uh, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And trying to wrap our heads around that is, is a real trick because you've got one and yet three definite personalities at work at the same time and doing their thing. So we are going to take a little bit of time and through this series, you'll learn more about the Holy Spirit, but we are going to look at the manifestation of the Spirit, how, how that is shown, how He reveals Himself in various ways in the people who are following God. So, phanerosis is the Greek word for manifestation, and it, those manifestations come in a many ways. They come in, in many forms, different at the time that God chooses and with the people and in the, at that particular point in uh, history and with the geography. Everything is um, coordinated as God has willed it. And we're going to see that in terms of how the Holy Spirit works these things. So the manifestation that we're going to look at will be in a variety of ways. However, the uh, point of this is going to be to see what that manifestation looks like as spiritual gifts. So if you've wondered about spiritual gifts, how those things work, how, how does that play out in the life of, of a follower of Christ, that's where we're headed. But in order to get there, we're going to lay a little groundwork. We'll look more at some, some other uh, context next week. We're only going to do three of these because at the end of November, Advent begins and we're leading into Christmas. And so we'll follow up after the holidays in January with, because we can't get it all in three weeks. So this will be the, the uh, beginning, the intro. The uh, details will probably be uh, more specific to you uh, later, but without this groundwork, it may be a bit confusing because for many, the Holy Spirit is, is a new thing or a scary thing, or he is just so so far distant that he doesn't even enter in. We just use the word God, leave it at that. Oh, I know a little bit about Jesus because we got Christmas, but this Holy Spirit thing, that is, that's out there. So we're going to take a look at the Holy Spirit. And, and this is phenomenal. We're going to start with Holy Spirit power. The book of Acts, and, we, and it's called the book of Acts, A-C-T-S, in most Bibles. Some will have Acts of the Apostles. and some Bibles, it will have Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because what unfolds in the book of Acts are uh, recorded different encounters, manifestations of the Holy Spirit through people as God is, is reaching into the world after Jesus' resurrection. So the Holy Spirit comes, arrives, and Jesus is leaving. He leaves in chapter 1 and, and returns to the Father. That's the ascension. Jesus goes to the Father. Chapter 2, the Holy Spirit arrives. So it begins there, and that's the beginning of what we call the church, ecclesia, is the gathering of God's people 
together in the church, and the church is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit on earth. So it, the book of Acts is, is key to seeing how does this work out? What, what was God doing? How did, how did he put all this together? And it's Luke, uh, the, the physician who traveled with Paul, who gathered information. Luke is a historian. He's a physician, but he's also really great at gathering information. He interviews people, and he puts that info together. The other disciples, the other apostles, and the other writers of the, of the gospel, they were right there in the midst of it. Matthew was right there. John's right there. They write about things but not the same way that Luke did, because Luke is an outsider. What do you do when you show up? You go, I don't even understand this. You've watched movies or, or TV shows where somebody comes in from the outside, and you use that person to help tell the story, because they're from outside. They don't have all the inside, insider views or perspectives, and they just assume things. If you're just a local, you know, that's just how we do it. You get somebody in here from France or Germany, and they go, well, they, why are you doing that? Well, this is how it is. So you wouldn't write it in your journal. You wouldn't say, well, this is unique. The Germans come here and see you set your table, the way you eat, the food you eat. They're going to write it down. Go, Mom, you're not going to believe what these people do because it's different. Well, imagine Luke. He's from a Greek background. He's a physician. He's checking out this thing. He's looking at the science. And then he shows up and is exposed to these things, and he is like, whoa. So he asks questions. If you want to know what happened to Mary, Jesus' mother, you turn to Luke. Why didn't the other boys? They all knew her. Why didn't they write something? Nah, you know, Mary. Yeah, everybody knows that story. No, they don't. Luke goes in and goes, Mary, what happened? What were you thinking? He writes it down, go through Luke 1 and 2, and you go, wow. We wouldn't have it without Luke. So he did the same thing with the church as it, as it began, and he gathers these stories. He wasn't there for all of it, so he asked questions. And this is one of those. He wasn't here for this. He wrote it down. Uh, later chapters of Acts, he's part of the group as they're traveling. But in Acts chapter 8, early on, they've moved out of Jerusalem, and this is one of those accounts. Philip is there in Jerusalem as the Holy Spirit shows up, the church is exploding. Things are happening there that are just unimaginable. And as that begins, the word begins to get out that Jesus the Messiah has come, this power of the Holy Spirit is being demonstrated. So Philip shows up in Samaria. And remember the relationship between the Jewish people and the Samaritans. They didn't get along. They didn't like each other. They thought... Both of them had, had, were worshiping in, in the wrong way. They had their own ideas how this was going to work, and the Jews didn't. That's why we have the Good Samaritan as a story Jesus uses, because here's an enemy, somebody you look down on, who comes up and does something good, when the good people who were Jews should have, and they didn't. So we get that story. So Acts chapter 8, Philip shows up in Samaria, and he's dealing with the Samaritans, which is like, what are you thinking? He shouldn't be there. They're listening to him. This is how many things are showing up here with the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. So, uh, chapter four or chapter eight, verse four: the believers were scattered uh, all over. They're sharing the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip 
for example, went to the city of Samaria, told the people there about the Messiah. And they're, both the Samaritans and the Jews are look, looking and waiting for the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims, and many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. He comes, he shares the good news, he tells them about the Messiah, the Messiah has come, and the Messiah can now forgive our sins. It's a new covenant, we have a new relationship with God, we can, we can enjoy our walk with him in ways that we've never seen before, and in the course of him sharing that the holy spirit is doing these powerful things and there are miraculous things unfolding in the in the city so he's dealing with evil spirits and we've spent some time in in our last series talking about how these other gods other spirits are at work this is the area in northern israel where the worship of baal uh, one of those gods was really Rampant. They got hauled away in 722 by the Assyrians because they would not stop worshiping these other gods. So Baal is strong in this area. Baal worship, Astra, we've got the, the Phoenicians on the north, and formerly there were Canaanites. We've got remnants of these other gods and of these evil spirits. And the evil spirits are the ones we recognizes as demons or the demonic so many evil spirits were cast out as they're hearing the gospel as the holy spirit is revealing himself in a place where people have worshiped other gods and they have been influenced by these other gods things things that have drugged them down that have uh, taken taken them out because uh, in our day just because we don't see that, unless you go to India or somewhere where you, you run into the worship of, of other gods, doesn't mean that they're gone. They, they don't just die. They don't just fade into the dust. So where are they? They're clever. They're still around. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, the, the word that the Messiah has, the power of the Holy Spirit, still means something. Those evil spirits will still be dealt with. But we're too modern. So we think all those things are gone. All those things are gone. And we can't figure out why there's evil in the world or why bad things happen. And yet, for centuries, or since the beginning, they knew. There's more to this. Not that we're not evil. We needed our sins dealt with too. That's why Jesus came. He took care of that. So we've entered into a relationship with the living God where there's more. And where that message is showing up, the power of the Holy Spirit is working through the words, through the words of the good news about Jesus, and that now the enemy can be defeated because this message is bringing light. The more light, the darkness is, is pushed away. The darkness doesn't want to go away because the darkness has a personality, and that personality is saying, I'm holding on to this person. And so when that, that power shows up, the light shines on them, they leave. How do they leave? Screaming as they left their victims. 
And many of those who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Why? Because it wasn't a medical condition. It was an evil spirit condition that had them bound up, and now they're free and they can move and work. And remember, this is a doctor writing this. So he knows the difference between what happens when an evil spirit binds someone and then when they're sick, because that's, that's his thing. He knows that. So there's great joy in the city, verse 8. Well, I think so. It would, there would be. But there's more to this. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years. Amazing people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. This guy was something. He could, he could do all the magical tricks and he knew how to do cold readings on people. He could do all of those things you've seen with psychics and, and others that can put on a really good show. So he's got Samaria just wrapped up. He, he is the guy. They listened closely to him for a long time. And, uh, and they loved his magic. But now the people believed Philip's message of the good news. So now they've got a whole new thing entering in. And that's talking about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And, and this thing is, is changing people. As a result, many men and women were baptized. Simon himself, this guy who was practicing this magic, Simon himself believed and was baptized. And then he began following Philip wherever he went. And he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message... They sent Peter and John. Well, I guess they did. We need to send the big boys up there and see what's going on. Verse 15, as soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is, is, uh, had been activated. That started in chapter 2 in Jerusalem. So that's, that was when the Holy Spirit arrived for those first believers. Now there's a, another round with the Samaritans as this, the true... As the gospel is going out, these things are happening, and the Holy Spirit arrives and shows himself. So he's manifesting here in Samaria. And they came, and they prayed for people to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them, and they'd only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Peter and John laid their hands on these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that, Simon the magician guy, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Because, you know, if you're a magician and you go, man, that's, I, I need that because there's a crowd, people are interested, this is so awesome. I should, you know, let me, let me buy, I'll bribe these guys because, you know, it's normal how you do trade in the magic world. They're going, nope, that's not how this works. So... Verse 19, let me have this power too, Simon exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Yeah, the big fisherman wasn't putting up with that. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord, perhaps... He will forgive your evil thoughts. For I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. 
So it's that jealousy thing, that, you know, human deal. How come he has the crowd? I used to have the crowd. Everybody liked my magic. These guys have something I don't have. I need to find out how they do that. But that spoke to him. So in verse 24, Pray to the Lord for me, Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things you've said won't happen to me. He was a believer, remember? He believed. He was baptized. He just went sideways for a little bit. He gets him straightened out again. After testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John go back to Jerusalem. They visit some other people. So we've got the, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit showing up in the, in the presentation of the good news, the, that people can now have a real relationship with the living God because of what Jesus has done, his death on the cross, his resurrection. There's new hope. There's a new covenant. Here's a new way to worship God, so in spirit and in truth. And the Holy Spirit's going to be here in, in power. But as they tell that story, these people are coming to the Lord. They're hearing those words. The, the scales on their eyes have come off. Their ears are now open, and they hear. Their hearts are ready to receive it. The Holy Spirit has been at work. That's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Philip has gone to Samaria. The Holy Spirit has moved him there. He's speaking to these people. Holy Spirit is moving in them as they hear him present this. And the Holy Spirit is showing up in these miraculous ways, dealing with the fallout of the evil spirits and the worship of other gods. All, he's dealing with all of those things are happening here, and he's breaking loose even the chief magician guy, Simon, and he's come to his senses, even getting straightened out on when he went sideways. And the Lord you know, brings him back around. The Holy Spirit is at work dealing with all of those things, and then we get toward the end of chapter 8. We're not done with this. So here's this other crazy story. And I'll pick it up at uh, verse 26. The angel of the Lord said to him, said to Philip, Go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Candace, the, the queen of Ethiopia. A eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and he was now returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk alongside the carriage. Philip ran ran over, heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. Philip asked, do you understand what you are reading? The man replied, how can, I, how can I unless someone instructs me? So he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. The passage of scripture he had been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice, who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked, Tell me, was the prophet talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop. They went down into the water. Philip baptized him. So we've got the Holy Spirit involved in getting Philip 
from Samaria, which is in the north of Israel, down to the south of Israel to a desert road to randomly meet, like not the highest ranking person from Ethiopia, but he has the checkbook. So he's really kind of in charge. So he, here's the treasurer who worships God. If, if you recall back in 586 and a little bit earlier, that the, some of the Jewish people took off for Africa. Many of them landed in, in Ethiopia. And there's, there's still a, a, a group of Jewish people down there that came from this, from this period of time. Some think the, the Ark of the Covenant went with them and they hid it down there. So, you know, there's, there's some mystery on that. But there are believers there. So this is one of those, this treasurer, this eunuch who has come and worshipped in Jerusalem. Now he's returning back home. He has a scroll. Not many people can afford those, but he, he, he can. So he's got a scroll. He's reading through Isaiah. He can't make sense of it. At that moment, when he's reading this part of Isaiah, the Holy Spirit times it just so Philip is there, walks alongside the carriage, interprets what's going on, gives him the story of Jesus, the death and resurrection, what that means, and this man becomes a believer in Jesus. And that's also why Ethiopia is full of believers and has been for centuries because of that moment. This thing carries the gospel back. He says, there's some water. Where are you going to find not much of that there in the desert? But he finds some, gets baptized. Holy Spirit's with him. The timing, the place, the geography, the person, what he's reading at that moment. All the timing on this thing. Manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And we're not done. They get baptized. He comes out of the water. And verse 39. The Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azotus, and he preached the good news there and every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. So he keeps going. The Holy Spirit comes. He steps out of the water. Let's just picture that. The eunuch just gets baptized. He's excited about Jesus. He's jumping up out of the water, dripping, and Philip just disappears. Because the Holy Spirit just grabs him and gone. Now he's moved to Azotus. There's a reason for that, which we don't have time to get into. But here is a crazy... The Holy Spirit is manifesting himself and having Philip go physically, go to Samaria, which was like not a friendly place to be. So he's risking everything to be there. It changes people's lives. Evil spirits are moved. I mean, they're, they're pushed away. The, the, the light has come. Then the Lord says, okay, that was a great thing. Here's this giant ministry. People are coming in. He's got so many that Peter and John come to be part of it. And the Holy Spirit says, huh. Now, just put this in, in, in terms of today's ministry. I want you to think of a pastor who has ability. They can speak. There are manifestations of the Holy Spirit People are coming in droves. People are being healed. Evil spirits are being pushed away. How many would walk away from that to go meet one guy, one guy on a desert road? One guy. Leave the big one and all the people, and all the excitement, so much that Simon wants to pay him 
because this is, this is so cool, walk away and go see the one guy on the road. He goes to Azotus, and then he makes his way to Caesarea. We never hear of him returning to Samaria. He never is reported as having this giant crowd. Nobody else pays him big money. He just keeps, as it tells us here, he preached the good news wherever he went. So how does the Holy Spirit show up? He moved him. He just physically moved him from one place to another. And then at other times, he just has him walk. Sometimes he gets to ride in a carriage. Holy Spirit is manifesting himself in a number of ways. And in Acts 8, we pick up part of that. But Jesus tells us this is coming. So here's the promise of the Holy Spirit from John 14. The promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit. So you got the, the end of Jesus' ministry. John 14 is that last... I mean, he's, he's down the last days, last hours. It's, it's coming. And he's telling them, I'm leaving. They don't understand that yet. But he's telling them, I'm, this is about it. And that he's going to be crucified. He'll be resurrected. And, and they're just staring at the wall going, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to send you another advocate. Another like himself. And we, we do a thing here that we call periclesis. So when we gather together, or, and we have that time before, before we have the service, and we have small groups, the reason for that is to build into each other, to share, to listen, to encourage, to build up, to encourage, to exhort, to help, to comfort, to counsel. I'm giving you a few words that apply to the word paraclete. And when Jesus said, I am sending you another, which is like him, who, who will teach and guide and all of those things. And he says, advocate. The Greek word there is paraclete. So the paraclete, paraclesis, that process, that come alongside, that bring all of these things together to build people up, to pour into their lives, to take them to another place. And we are to do that for each other. The Holy Spirit helps us to do that. And that's why he said, uh, and this one, he's not going to leave you. Now, Jesus isn't going to leave us either, but there's, he's talking about the physical. He's about ready to be crucified. So the Holy Spirit's going to come. The Holy Spirit's going to be part of who we are, who we are as, as a group of people impacting the world, but as individuals as well. So the manifestation of the Holy Spirit's going to be very real as he, as he works in us. I will ask the Father, he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later he will be in you. So he's telling them at that point, there's more. This is going to develop. There's a process. And we're going to get to that time when the Holy Spirit is going to be with you in an entirely different way. And he's going to manifest himself in a powerful way. And we just saw a bunch of that just in one chapter of the book of Acts, which is Luke is unfolding this or unpacking it. He's giving us all kinds of details on how this looks, what this looks like in, in different cultures, what it looks like with different people, how the Holy Spirit shows up and works within 
and through individuals and groups. And so we have this, this thing that shows up for us in the place that I'm, I'm picking up this uh, phanerosis, the idea of the manifestation. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, which is where we find the spiritual gift. So you have a spiritual gift. This is something, when you come to know the Lord Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes, and we have the opportunity. We can be blind to it, we can miss it, we can overlook it, we can push it aside. All of those things are possible, but we have the opportunity to have the manifestation of the Holy Spirit alive, working in us and through us. So he gives spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, 7, he's letting us know that. So 6 and 7, God... God works in different ways, but it's the same God who works, who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us. So everybody has one spiritual gift. That gift can be a um, permanent part or temporary part of, of who we are. God uses it in different ways. But everybody has one that's going to be with you, available to you. It's an opportunity for you doesn't mean that you figured it out or that you actually use it, but it's available. It is there. So your spiritual gift is not natural. Your spiritual gift is not natural. Uh, there's a natural design and function. God has, he's, he's made humanity, and he said, We're gonna, we're, I'm going to make these humans like us like the gods, like the Elohim. I'm going to make them in my image, God says. So we've got a certain, uh, every human being has the hand of God on them in design. And so we've got the physical. We've got a physical body. We have a physical design. We've got the 206 bones. I found out after getting all these tests recently that I have two extra in my feet. So I have 208 which I announced to them. They said, that's right, buddy, you got 208. Dang, that's not very helpful because right now it hurts. But anyway, apart from that weird bone thing, mainly 206 bones. Psychologically, we're, we're designed to, to have some ability to think, to reason, to work through problems, to live life, to make sense of the place where we are, to understand our, our, the space around us. People who don't, can't do that babies who miss that and and it just creates all kinds of psychological issues god has designed us to be able to handle uh, understanding the world we're in and to be able to grow and learn and and get beyond even the smallest things that we develop as as uh, children emotional he's built an emotion so we can feel things and we can go beyond just looking at a color or a sunset and going, yeah, there's just sun rays bouncing around and being bent, and that's why it's red, and you know, there's dirt in the air and the atmosphere, and that's why it makes it so cool. Or, you know, it's just reflected, radiant uh, sunlight coming 93 million miles, 186,000 miles per second. Isn't that wonderful? And some people look at the sunset and say that. Other people look at it and go, look at the artistry the hand of God that just did that and made my day. That's more emotional. What if we didn't have that? Little robots out there listing off all that other info? Great. 
really enjoyable. Anyway, we got physical, we got psychological, we got emotional, we got relational. God has designed us for relationship. So it's not good for man to be alone. Genesis chapter 2, right off the bat. He said, no, we got to have people. We need, I want people. I'm designing people because I want to have people. People need people. People need God. We're designed for relationships. So he's put all that and wired that into us. That's a natural thing that we have. So we have some ability. Some people are better at relationships. Some are better balanced in emotions. Some are better psychologically. Some of us are just nuts. So we've got all kinds of places that we wind up. And talents, on top of that, we've got talents and we got people who can do mechanics and people who can do electrical stuff. And, and if everybody's a doctor and a lawyer, like a lot of people send off their kids to be one or the other, and you go, who's going to do the plumbing? Because at some point, the toilet's going to back up. You've got to have everybody. And we need the talents of everyone, the artists, the musicians, the people who are the creative ones, the ones who can organize things. We need talented people, God-given talents. That is not a spiritual gift. And when you look up spiritual gifts, if you go online and Google, which has all the answers you ever need, they will tell you when you look these things up or even take take a spiritual gift test, often you will find that the spiritual gifts are talents, things you like, that you're drawn to, which is more emotional, psychological, and then you go, well, you know, I've always liked that since I was a kid. That's a talent. That fits in this category. Now we're going to go for your supernatural spiritual gift is phenomenal. It is not part of that physical. This is the spiritual gift. comes from the Holy Spirit who entered into this world in the way that he has, recorded in Acts chapter 2, shows up and manifests himself in an amazing way, so much so that the master magician dude in Samaria wants to buy it because it shows up in such a way that it's recognizable. It's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It's not a hidden thing. It's not a, well, I kind of like this. I kind of like that. That must be my spiritual gift. No, it isn't. (sighs) It is not. It is a supernatural design and function provided by the Holy Spirit who comes from heaven, who is eternal being, who knows all things, has all power, knows exactly what you need, when you need it, and he gives you a gift. We just saw that, right? 1 Corinthians 12. He's given you a gift. Now, whether you open it or not, just like on Christmas, you can open it or not. You can toss it aside. It can be buried under the tree and behind the couch, and you miss it. But he's given it. It's available. You open it up. And you look at it, and you go, I don't know what to do with that. That may be true. That's also why we have Scripture, and we have people that can help, and that's, that's paraclesis. We get the whole group coming in to, together and saying, well, this is kind of how this, this plays out. That's why Peter and John show up in Samaria. Let's help you out. Let's keep this thing going. Takes, maybe it takes more people, but it's supernatural design and function. It is not the natural talent that we already have. So, it may show up in a physical way. Now, what? So, if the Holy Spirit comes on someone, just a human being, normal, just a body, just like everybody else, 206 bones, muscles, ligaments, the whole thing, comes on that person for a particular reason that God has in mind, 
what might they be able to do? Well, there's this guy called Samson. This is back in the Old Testament, the book of Judges. Spirit comes on him. Spirit, the angel shows up, says, this kid's coming, and God's going to do something with him. What did he have? Physical ability. Amazing physical ability. We ain't seen nobody like that one again. Amazing physical ability. There are other people who've had uh, the Spirit come on them in physical ways that have made them uh, unique. And, and some of that can be artistry. The uh, Spirit came upon those who were designing the tabernacle. And I'm sure they did in the temple as well. But those who came on the tabernacle, they built out in the desert. And God said, here are the ones. I'm giving them the gift. Talk to this dude. He's going to be the main leader of the group. But they have gifts, art, the gifts of artistry. And so they're able to do, and they, well, now we need some singers. We need somebody to make the instruments. We need people, and it, so those are physical. I mean, physical and artist, and I mean, there's other elements to that. But this is the Spirit of God, and these temporary, well, they probably lasted them the whole time, but it shows up in, in a way that's amazing, psychological. How, how can you think through the difficult problems of life. How can you solve the, the challenges? And so Solomon, he says, yeah, Lord, I'm not asking for riches. I'm just asking for wisdom. How can I take care of these people? I need to be able to organize, administrate, judge. How can I help them? How can I build up the country to be the best it can be? God gave him some ability to, to do that. So the Spirit of God shows up. Emotional, how do you, how do you handle the, the, just the struggles that come in life? You read through the Psalms and you see, you know, God has abandoned me. Oh my God, where are you? You left me and all these people are after me and I don't understand why the evil get away with everything and I can't get ahead in this world. And, and then by the end of that same Psalm, he's going, well, Lord, I get it now. And so how does he do that in 11 verses? It's... It, the Spirit of God is just moving in that person to help emotionally. And then the, out of that emotion comes some, some artistry, the writing, the sharing. And so people read the Psalms. And, and we're 3,000 years down the road. And you read through those and go, wow, I think I just had that happen yesterday. How do you pull that off? The Spirit of God shows up, works through somebody. And you go, and, and the Spirit of God touches you. And you read it and go, yeah, okay, I get it. Now I'm back. The, God, uh, the Lord's loving kindness is always here. He's faithful. I trust him. I'm good. I'll get up and go again. So he shows up. Holy Spirit shows up. But there are people who have emotional abilities beyond what is normal, talent, what they've trained, what their personality is. It goes way beyond those, those kind of things. Relational abilities to connect people, to connect peoples from different cultures and backgrounds. And to reach across the world and, and be able to connect and talk and share, Jesus could do that. So the Spirit is an advocate. He's a paraclete like him, right? So he's coming to do those similar things and say, ah. Jesus talked to the Roman. He talks to, to the woman at, at the well. She's a Samaritan. He's violating stuff all over the place. And he's able to talk to all of them. And he's not like, well, you know, the Roman Empire, I'm down on it because all of Israel's under their control, and, and this is horrible. So the main thing is we need to get rid of Rome. We need a better government. We need, we need to get these soldiers out of here. 
Nope. He just goes over and says, you know what? You can know God too. And I'll take care of your servant and heal your hurt. And then he says, you know what? I haven't seen faith like that in all of Israel. Because he's pulling people together. It's a relational thing. So the healing can take place. What if they're threatening your death? And, and, and Jesus was going through that on his last night. He's just moved, moved from place to place. They're going, you know, we're going to tie you up. We're going to beat you. And then there's the screams for the crucifixion. Let's put him on the cross. Let's put an end to this guy. We don't want to hear this anymore. And he is brought before Pilate, representative of Rome, the power of Rome, the governor. And he's saying, I don't see anything wrong with him. I don't see what he's violated, but he's getting pressure from the, from the higher-ups there in the city. And he says uh, to Jesus, you know I can put you to death. And Jesus unblinkingly you know what I can call down 10,000 angels you have no authority authority over me unless it were given to you how do you do that how do you do that how do you get on the cross nailed to the cross after being beaten all night bleeding out you're nailed naked and your mother and a handful of people most of them jeering and the soldiers who are there to kill you are nearby two others being crucified with you who are moaning and crying and doing the normal things people do on a cross and Jesus isn't moaning and crying and he looks down and he goes you know what mom need somebody to take care of you John's here John Take care of mom. How do you do that? How do you hold it together? Psychologically. Physically, he's shot. Psychologically, emotionally, relationally. And then he looks at these soldiers and he says, Father, forgive them. Just forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. How do you do that? In the face of death, in the face of that kind of horror, how do you do that? He says, I'm sending somebody like that to help you. I'm going to send a paraclete. A paraclete who will manifest these things in you. That sound like a deal? Available to you. On top of that, I'm going to give you abilities. Abilities. Supernatural design and function. Abilities that are not like the talents that you already have. Not like what everybody else thinks this is. Not like the things that everybody explains to be spiritual gifts. He is giving spiritual gifts. Gifts from the Holy Spirit, from out there, bringing them in here, and they don't look like, they don't feel like, the things that we say are spiritual gifts. How's that for an introduction? And we'll talk a little bit more about that next time because there's a context for this that is just going to blow you away and you don't get to find out for an entire week. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing us to know you, to experience you. Lord, release, release your spirit.
here right now that we might get a taste. In Jesus' name.